I would like to take some readings, first of all, from the epistle to the Hebrews and in chapter 9, and then moving into chapter 10. So the epistle to the Hebrews and chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Uh, look down just to verse 25, speaking of the, the uh, sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Now just look down chapter 10, verse 3, speaking of the, the sacrifices of the old economy. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, though I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. And then just look down to verse 11. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. And then just look down to verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. <clears throat> now that's a, a lengthy reading. We trust the Lord's blessing will be upon it. Really, what I want to speak to you about this afternoon, or this evening, is the eternal value of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus at Calvary. Today, many have remembered the sacrifice that men of old have made that you and I might live in freedom. And I judge it right that we should reflect upon the sacrifices of those men. But what I want to interest in you tonight is the supreme and the superior sacrifice of the Lord Jesus at Calvary. We have been reading tonight, indeed we started our reading by thinking of that divine principle that without shedding of blood is no remission. Without sacrifice, there could be no forgiveness. But we're glad to be able to come this evening and tell you how that the message of the gospel declares that in the cross of Christ, such a sacrifice has been found of such value, such eternal value, and such eternal sufficiency that no further offering is required 
And uh, we have been singing tonight, the work of Christ was so complete, its glories not condemned. Calvary was a sacrifice that was offered to God, and its glory and its light will shine forever. And we appreciate that such was a sacrifice that he made. The law could ask no more, for not a mite was left unpaid when he, our judgment, bore. And so we want to interest you tonight in the singular, all-sufficient sacrifice of the Lord Jesus at Calvary. Listen to the language of Scripture. Once, once, in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Verse 28 of chapter 9 says, So Christ was once. I like actually the way Newbery annotates it in his Bible. He says, once for all. I like that. Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And then in chapter 10, it says, This man, after he had offered one sacrifice, for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God. We appreciate that the sacrifice of Christ is of such value that there never needs to be another one. And we sometimes sing, maybe you sing it on a Lord's Day morning, speaking of the work of Christ on the cross. The hymn writer says, Great victory over sin and hell and woe that needs no second fight and that leaves no second foe. I was reminded today of a, of a gathering out in San Francisco when uh, a large company was gathered to listen to what they called a modern preacher. And unfortunately, that man was casting, casting some doubt, and he was posing some questions as to the eternal sufficiency of the blood of Christ. And when he finished his remarks, there was a, a timid old lady in the gathering, and she stood up, and she started to sing the words of William Cowper's hymn, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. And, well, when she came to the second verse, there was maybe a hundred people singing. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there my eye, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. By the time she got to the third verse, there was maybe a thousand people swelling the song. And this is the words of the final verse. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. I tell you, tonight we'll not be making light of the blood of Christ where we believe in its eternal efficacy. We believe in its eternal value. And we believe, as one of our brethren quoted in the prayer meeting, that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. And I would say just before I go any further that that is the sinner's only hope. If you build your uh, hopes for eternity on anything less than the precious blood of Christ, it will be you will, you will discover that all other ground is sinking sand 
I'm glad to be able to say, like the hymn writer, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And the road to heaven, it leads by the way of the cross. The road to heaven is a way stained with the precious blood of Christ. And we have been singing tonight, the only way to heaven above, to God's eternal rest. And so just for the remaining 15 minutes or so, I want to think of four things associated with the eternal sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. I want to think, first of all, of a settled problem. We have read, even in just the scattered reading that we have made in these two chapters, we have read quite often of the problem of sin. And that immediately puts our, our thoughts, not even just our thoughts, but it, the, 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 the tenor of Scripture, at a variance with the mind of the world. Because if you mention sin, people would laugh at you. Sin is something that they worried about in the 19th century, but we don't worry about sin now. As far as we are concerned, sin, no problem. Well, can I remind you tonight that in the eyes of God, the problem of sin has never changed. And this is what God has to say about sin. He says, the wages of sin is death. And if you go back into the Old Testament, we read in the book of Ezekiel, that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And so with sin comes a sentence. That is, that is a principle. That is a principle that cannot be changed. And that is directly linked with the principle that we thought about at the start of the meeting, that without shedding of blood is no remission. Because sin cannot, under any circumstances, be swept under the carpet. It cannot just be ignored. No, dear, dear friend, if your sin is never forgiven, it will keep you out of heaven and it will take you down to the eternal burnings of hell. I trust we all will weigh in our own minds and in our own hearts the seriousness of sin. It's a problem. But I want to tell you in the glad notes of the gospel that that sin problem has been settled forever at the cross. Sometime, well, maybe we'll sing it at the end of the meeting, but I'll quote it just now. Settled forever. Sin's tremendous claim. Sin, sin had a tremendous claim, but we love to sing, settled forever, sin's tremendous claim. Glory to Jesus. Blessed be his name. You see, when he went out to Calvary, and he went out to suffer on that middle tree, he was going there to deal with the sin problem. And just so we're clear, he had no sin of his own. He was a spotless, he was a spotless sacrifice. In fact, Peter talks about the sacrificial lamb as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He was perfect. He was sinless. He was holy. He was harmless. He was undefiled. He was separate from sinners. But when he went out to Calvary, 
One of the texts that I love is Isaiah 53 and 5. It says, he was wounded for our transgressions. The sin problem, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And Peter again says, he who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. And as John looked upon what a, what a sight it must have been for John the Baptist or any man to have looked upon the lovely form of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what John said? He lifted up his voice and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Dear friend, when Christ went to Calvary, he not only solved the problem, but he settled it forever. And I tell you, the sin problem has been settled forever. And I feel like asking you tonight, are you washed in the blood? Are you washed in the blood? You know, there was, when I was saved, they used to sing a hymn. I hardly ever hear it now, but I sometimes give it out myself and then people don't know the tune, so I've sort of given up. But listen, one of the hymns we used to sing at the tent where I was saved, one of the verses says, the debt was paid when Jesus died. And when his pardoning grace I tried in Calvary's deep and crimson tide, my sin was washed away. You know, dear friend, this, that problem, that problem has been settled at Calvary. And if you trust the one who died there, your sin will be washed away. You know, oh, the second thing just I wanted to, to speak about, not only a settled problem, once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. By the sacrifice of himself, he settled the problem of sin. Then the second thing I want to speak about is a seated savior. That's a wonderful truth. In fact, one of our brethren mentioned the, the setting down of the savior in the prayer meeting. And uh, do you know, I, I, I don't want to confuse anyone or make it too unclear, but back in the Old Testament, there was no shortage of sacrifice. Many sacrifices, thousands and millions and hundreds of millions and myriads of animal sacrifices were offered upon the altar by the priests of the old economy. But one of the things that the priest of old could never do was sit down. And the reason for that is that his work was never complete. Because in one sweeping statement, all of those sacrifices, and they were, they were a numberless throng, all of those sacrifices are gathered up. And in one sweeping statement, it says that it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Not one, not all of them together were a final solution to the sin problem. And so the priest of old could never sit down. But such was the sacrifice that the Lord Jesus made at Calvary. Such was the value of his precious blood. Do you know what he did? Do you know what he did after he offered it? This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, do you know what he did? He sat down. Why? Because his work on earth was done. Because his work was complete. Because there was no further sacrifice required. Dear friends, dear people this afternoon, this is the message of the gospel. We preach a seated Savior. 
And when he, ere he bowed his head upon the cross, he said as a victor, you know, men, humanity, as they gathered round the scene at Calvary that day, they saw it as a great defeat. But I want to tell you, as a victor, Christ died. And they said in triumph, and they said in power, and they said in notes of tremendous victory, it is finished. And we sing tonight, the work of Christ was so complete, its glory is not condemned. And uh, interestingly, last, last Lord's Day in the, in the morning meeting, we, we sang, "'Tis finished, here our souls can rest, his work will never fail." And we want to tell you, dear friend, if you, pre if you rest your all upon the finished work of Christ, you're resting it on a firm foundation because we preach a seated Savior. The work is done. And I liked, I was appreciating just what uh, the writer to the Hebrews opens his, his great book with. He said, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. I was enjoying that when he had by himself. We could have played no part in the grand story of redemption. No. In those six hours of sin, burying and suffering, he entered alone. When he had by himself, he did it all. You know, sometimes, sometimes if we have to do a job and uh, we're a bit disgruntled that nobody will come to help us, we say, I had to do it all myself. Well, he did it all himself. What a work it was. I tell you what a work it was. But he did it, and he did it all by himself. There was no ally. There was none to aid him. There was, none, there was no pity and eye to be found at the cross. But he entered into death, and he entered into all the sufferings of the cross. And I love, I love the triumphant language of the Hebrew writer again when it says, he endured the cross. He saw it through to the very end. And after he had offered that singular, all-sufficient sacrifice, he was exalted to the throne of God and he sat down because his work was done. And sometimes we sing every mark of dark dishonor heaped upon thy thorn-crowned brow, all the depths of thy heart's sorrow told in answering glory now. Then I want to think perhaps very much linked again, not only about a settled problem, not only about a seated Savior, but I want to think about a satisfied throne. Because we have been reading here that in those sacrifices of old, it says that God found no pleasure. It's not that he had anything against them. It's just that in those sacrifices, there was no final solution. And there was no sacrifice that God could say, there I've rested, it's enough. But you see, when the Lord Jesus offered himself at Calvary, we've been reading here, when all of those sacrifices proved deficient and insufficient, I can almost hear a voice in heaven saying, whom shall I send who will go for us? And I can hear the voice of the Lord Jesus saying, Lo, I come. Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. What was that will? It was that a sacrifice of eternal value should be offered. And he did it. He did it at the cross. And he offered a sacrifice that is 
that has satisfied the throne of God forever. And I would love just, I would love just this evening to be able to convey to you just what a satisfied throne means for you and me. But maybe in a short statement, I'll say it means that you and I, and it means that whosoever will can be in heaven. If the very throne of God has been eternally sacrificed, has been eternally satisfied by the sacrifice of Christ, well, that means the door is what we've been singing, that the day of grace may soon be over, the closing hour is set, but still open stands salvation's door, and you may enter yet. At Calvary, that door was opened. In the giving of the Son of God at Calvary, The life gate was open. We sing Fanny Crosby's hymn, To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life an atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. And uh, that gate has been opened and that door has been opened. And the Lord Jesus himself said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. And because this throne, you say, will God just let a guilty sinner like me into heaven? Well, he will. Because if you trust his son, all of that guilt has been answered at Calvary. It has been all settled. It has been all satisfied. The throne of God has been satisfied forever. And if you as a guilty sinner trust his son, you will be saved and know your sins forgiven. And God will be righteous God is the just, is just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. You see, without the cross, he could have been just, but not justifier. And he could have been justifier, but not just. But in the cross, he can be both. And I love, you know, some of you people might remember a dear friend of mine, Mr. Samuel Sloan. I remember one morning meeting in Lisburn, he stood up. And he says, I want to quote the best, the best verse in this hymn book. And interestingly, it was quoted in the prayer meeting tonight. The words are these. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and to pardon me. Well, the last thing, a saved people. You see... There, the Hebrew epistle describes those who have taken refuge beneath the blood of the cross, that have have found shelter from judgment beneath the cross. And you know what it says about them? God says their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Why? Because they've all been dealt with at the cross. Heaven's, heaven bombarded all of its ammunition in the Son of God, all of its anger, all of its wrath that was due to our sin. It was exhausted in Christ. You see, in the Old Testament, the fire consumed the sacrifice. But in the case of the Lord Jesus, the sacrifice consumed the fire because the fire exhausted itself in Christ and it's all been paid. And if you trust him, your sins will be completely forgiven and you'll know you'll be safe from judgment you know, I thought about the blood on the doorposts of that, those houses in Egypt in Exodus 12. And I tell you, those families find certainty behind the blood. And if you want certainty tonight, 
If you want safety, you will only find it in the precious blood of Christ. There's no other refuge. The language in Exodus 12 was, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The plague shall not be upon you. Dear friend, your only refuge tonight is the precious blood of Christ. Don't die without it. As a close, there was a man, I heard a story of a man walking across the platform of a train station one day and he noticed an old gentleman giving out gospel tracts and he went over because he was a believer himself and he went over to take a tract off the man and speak to him and before he could open his mouth, the man thrust the gospel tract into his hand and he asked him the question. He said, dear friend, what is there between your soul and eternal fire? A good question for me to ask in this meeting tonight, dear friend, what is there between your soul and eternal fire? And the man, as quick as a flash, I liked his answer. He said, the precious blood of Christ. That is your only shelter, dear friend. Make sure your hope is in nothing less. And I just, in the prayer meeting, there was a line of a hymn came to me. It were death at the foot of the cross to have stood and thy robes never washed nor made white. You will perish, dear friend. I trust tonight we've stood at the foot of the cross. Dear friend, don't leave the way you come in. Trust Christ and come to know through him your sins forgiven and be able to say like many of us tonight, the cross of Christ is all my boast. His blood, my only plea, my passport to the realms of bliss is Jesus died for me. Shall we pray? Our Father, we just commend ourselves to thee in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we thank thee for the cross. We thank thee for its value. We thank thee for the precious blood that was shed there. And we thank thee for many in this meeting that have found shelter beneath that blood that cleanses from all sin. And we pray that each might understand tonight the reality of where they stand in light of eternity. And if any are not saved, we pray that it might be even this evening when they would trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their own impersonal Savior. We thank thee for the simple terms of salvation, not trying or doing one's best, but simply believing in Jesus is sinful and weary, find rest. So we just pray that thou wilt bless thy word and that we might even have the joy tonight of hearing of not a few, not a few souls coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We commend ourselves to thee in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.